So let's pray. Father, we commit ourselves once again to you. We open our hearts and uh, in all humility, we want to hear the truth that is contained in your word yes. because it is the truth that will set us free. Father, reveal uh, your truth to, to the hearers and make me an, an effective communicator yes. at this moment. It is a privilege to be able to declare your truth, Father. Yes. Lord, let there be an outpouring of your Holy Spirit in our midst. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's get on to it. And um, let's get straight to the book of Revelation, chapter 3. I'm going to read from uh, verse 14, Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. This is a letter to the church in Laodicea. And let's read. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so, do, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and soft to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love are reproof and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the seventh letter, which is the last letter to the seven churches. As I've said before, the genre of the, uh, the book of Revelation is within the category of this apocalyptic literature. The Greek word for it is apocalypsis, which literally means revelation. It is the kind of literature that filled with imagery, and it is written when things look bad, look black and, uh, and evil, and when evil looks and seems to have the upper hand in the situation, all right? So that's, normally that is the, the motivation of the writing of the letter. And let me say this, the key to understand this book, as with other books of the Bible, but especially this book, is that to find out what is the, the, the what, what it meant to the original intended, intended audience or readers, then at the time of the writing, before determining what it means to us now. Yeah. Like I've said before, if we don't get what it meant to them then, we will not get what it means to us now. Yeah. Okay? Now, as we discovered that the purpose of this book of Revelation, especially the letters to the seven churches, was to prepare those churches for what was to come, where their faith will be tested to the max. 
The churches there were ill-prepared, ill-equipped. Therefore, these letters were filled with instruction, along with greetings, acknowledgement, reproof, and rebuke, promises from Jesus, just to get them to get their act together, really. So they, these, these letters, are basically invitations for the churches to be victorious, to conquer. I can see that, but judging, you know, judging from the closing remarks of every letter that Jesus wrote to, uh, John wrote to, to the, those various churches, with the statement, he who is victorious, who conquers, that very statement is, is communicating to us clearly that Jesus had every intention for his churches to be victorious. That was the intention of Jesus. Personally, I believe that the letters to the seven churches are the most, if not, uh, so I believe it is the most important parts of the book of Revelation. I believe that. I believe so because through those letters, Jesus was preparing the churches for a great showdown between the state in all its might and the churches in all its fragility. So as to, so as the one in charge of the churches, he gave them an invitation while at the same time playing the role of a coach, you know, showing them how to conquer. And it's, it's therefore important for any church of any era of any age to thoroughly read and study this part of the book of Revelation. And that's why we actually have taken time to, to, to talk about one church at a time because it is to preparing the church to coach the church how to become a conquering church. So let's, before we talk about the church, let's talk about the background, the city of Laodicea. It was formerly called Diospolis, or City of Zeus. It is a very prosperous city and was known as a wealthy banking center in the region. And it had flourished especially under the imperial dynasty that remained in power during the writing of the book of Revelation here. Now here's the thing, it is so rich that the city was so arrogant, this city, city Laodicea, that at the time, in about the year 60 AD, at the time, many the surrounding cities in the region were destroyed by a great earthquake. And the emperor offered uh, uh, like, like a, a help or an assistance to rebuild the city what we, call, we would call now the Federal Disaster Relief Fund sort of thing. So when the emperor offered that to the city of Laodicea, they rejected it. We're rich, we don't need it. Interesting. <laughs> That's the city. So let's talk about the church. The local Christian's community, okay, was probably founded by an associate of Paul's. Now, according to Colossians, that Paul, he didn't visit Laodicea. However, he, when he wrote to, uh, to, uh, to the, uh, the, the church in Colossae, the Colossian church, he mentioned Laodicea there. And his co-worker called Epaphras formed the congregation in Laodicea, which is near uh, the Colossian church. Now, at the time... 
the revelation was written, there was no indication of conflict between the Jews or no, even, not even Ro the, the Romans and the Christians at Laodicea. Different to, you know, unlike Smyrna and Philadelphia where they were rejected by the, the Jewish community. So for this church, okay, no conflict and living in a very prosperous and rich city. Sounds great, right? Like, wow, great city. Maybe the church could be great being in that city. Well, we'll see. Let's go to the passage now. We go, as the typical structure of the letters to the church begins, it begins with greetings. In these greetings, Jesus introduced himself, and this is how he introduced himself. Let's read chapter 3, verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Alright, so we see Jesus described himself as the Amen, the faithful witness, and the beginning of all creation. As I have stated, Jesus presented an aspect of who he is pertinent to and in the context of the situation of the church he addressed was in. Whatever situation they was in, that's how he introduced himself. Okay, there is a connection of the revelation of who he is to where they're at. So let's see how Jesus described himself, himself here. First is, he described himself as the Amen. Now, the Amen, this word here, we, we hear every prayer, you know, which is great. But the background of this Amen is, in the Old Testament, it means something that is surely or trustworthy or truthfulness. It describes describes truthfulness. Now in the Old Testament, it basically just means truly. However, in the New Testament, the word truly, there are two words, amen and aletheus, okay? Aletheus. Now, I'm, once again, I'll, I'm, I'm not a Greek-speaking guy, so that could be a wrongly Pronounced, but however, there are two words. Now, this is this is what's interesting. Okay, that this word transla translated truly, this "Amen," is used exclusively by Jesus at the beginning of many important statements that he was about to say. Like truly, truly, I say to you. Mm. Okay, like for example, in John chapter three, verse three, where Jesus said to Nicodemus. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. Now, that expression is never used by any of the apostles, neither by the New Testament writers. They don't use this word, except for when they use it at the end of their prayer or doxology. But never to, you know, to, say, to, say, uh, to say the way Jesus would use it. Which means that this, that very word that Jesus used is really Jesus was, was asserting the authority and divine and messianic authority that he has when he made that statement and uh, yeah. this truth actually also <laughs> this divine truth is confirmed by Paul in uh, in 2nd Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20 he doesn't use this word 
sort of flippantly, and this is how, how what he said about the word amen. He said, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter the word amen. Mm. In other words, this is an important word to God for his glory. So that is the word amen, okay? Now, he's talking about, and the next thing is, he described himself as the faithful and true witness, which is an, an, uh, an elaboration of this word amen, because it's amen truly trustworthy and truthfulness. Now, the next thing is, he described himself as the beginning of all creation, or beginning of God's creation. Now, this is loaded. Okay, this word in Greek. Once again, excuse my my uh, my uh, pronunciation. Greek word for it is arche, arche. All right. So it means the the first. It means the the principle. It could mean ruler and all those things, and yeah, authority. But I would like to. I would like to, to ask us to actually consider this word because this is written by John and we need to see this word in the context of John's theological presupposition of this word beginning. And the way to understand that is when we go to the Gospel of John chapter 1, the, the prologue of John's Gospel, this is how he used the word beginning. He said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. So that is the context of what beginning is. Not just a start, or not just Jesus as... Just, John wasn't saying that Jesus is the first created thing by, 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 by God. No, no. He is the, the principle. He is the authority in creation. Yeah. And that sentiment or that, that theology is expressed also by, by Paul in a different way. This is what Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. He is the image of the invisible, the firstborn of invisible God, the firstborn, firstborn of all creation. For by him... All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him, etc., etc. That is, that's how we see the word beginning in that sort of theological presupposition. On that word, this is, this is also a key. When we read the Bible, we can't read the Bible with our presupposition, but we need to read the Bible, especially New Testament, from their presupposition. Because the New Testament writer's presupposition is what? Is the Old Testament, is the scripture. So this is what John wrote. Now, concerning what Paul wrote in, in Colossians, after writing to the Colossians, Paul then told the Colossians, and he said, make sure that you read what I've written to you to the Laodicean church. That's Colossians 4 verse 16. So the church was there already. So Paul said, when I, I wrote this, make sure you, you read that in the church in, in Laodicea. So this is what, what, what I believe is possible. It is then possible that the Laodicean church would have a great, if not probably some knowledge or some understanding of who Jesus really is. 
okay? The supremacy of Jesus in this way. And it is possible when John, John was writing this thing, he was appealing, hoping that he would appeal to that, the knowledge that they had in the beginning. That's possible. Interesting. So that's how Jesus introduced himself. Now, let's move to the next point. is the acknowledgement and the rebuke. <laughs> now, when you go through this, it's like Jesus went straight for the juggler. <laughs> I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that, would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Wow. We see here, Jesus pretty much defines what lukewarm is in case somehow they didn't get it. He said, because lukewarm is, you're neither cold nor, but Jesus had to explain it to them, right? So he said in, in verse 16 here, I'd rather you either cold or hot, but because you're neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That is a very strong, strong statement. It was like Jesus said, your situation kind of nauseating. <laughs> uh, it kind of made me sick. <laughs> I mean, that's what, what the word is. Like, I will spit you out of my mouth. Or other translations would say, I will vomit you out of my, my mouth. So, here's the thing. It's a sorry condition. But this condition didn't just happen. It is... It is one of those cases of, uh, what do you call it, cause and effect, cause and effect sort of ca case. So this was an effect of a cause. So what is the cause? What it says there, right, in the scripture, this is where information you can get off from the scripture. How did they get to that point of being lukewarm? Well, it began in how they saw themselves. Mm -hmm. In verse 17, Jesus said in verse 17, For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Mm. There you go. In other words, these people had a very high opinion of themselves. Yeah. Which, the condition that we call self-reliance, self-delusion. <laughs> you know. Then the next question I, we need to ask again, but how did they that kind of thinking creep in into the church? From understanding Colossians that I talked before about the supremacy of Christ, they would have been really powerful, should be powerful, strong Christian, like yeah. with that, that knowledge. But how did it creep in? I want to say this. I believe it's the environment they were in. Mm. Another way of describing a lukewarm environment is that, you know, that it's neither hot or cold. Another way of describing it is like room temperature. Okay? Room temperature speaks of a comfortable environment. It's cozy. It's room temperature. Yeah. And being a, a very prosperous city, the Laodiceans got comfortable with the worldly riches right there. Awesome. All right? And here's the moment of truth. While they think they, were, they are rich, don't need anything, Jesus then just 
said, let me say, tell you what I think. This is the moment of truth. You people are so deluded in verse 17, the second uh, part of verse 17. He said, you don't realize that while you think you are rich, needing nothing, the truth is you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Wow. Mm. <laughs> yep. Well, okay, Laodicea and Sardis are the two churches that received the harshest rebuke from Jesus of the seven churches. Like, like severe uh, reproof. Okay. However, in a way, the condition of Laodicea, for me, it's like, it seems like it's worse than the church of Sardis. Sardis had the reputation of being alive, but actually they were dead. And it says they had a reputation of being alive, but was dead. Now, to me, reputation is what people think of themselves. Yeah. Okay? That's what people think of you. Your reputation is what people think of you. Yeah. But the problem with Laodicea, why I think Laodicea is worse, because it's not what people think of them, it's what they think of themselves. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it's not about reputation, it's how they saw themselves, rich, prosperous, and need nothing. And that sort of mindset is a clear picture of the spirit and the environment that was operating in the city. Remember? We don't need the federal disaster relief funds. We are rich. We don't need anything. That's a reflection of the city. So instead, here's the thing. So instead of reflecting and embodying who Jesus is, the church has successfully embodied the city they were in. Whoa. Okay, this is the instruction from Jesus. So Jesus gives the instruction. I love it because he wants them to win. So Jesus gave the antidote for poor, blind, and naked. The situation they're in, spiritually speaking. And in verse 18, he said, I counsel you to buy from me. Okay, for poverty, gold refined by fire. That's what he said. So this is what Jesus said. He said, so that you may be rich. See, this is, this is the thing. Buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you true riches. Riches in its true sense. Okay? The worldly comfort and riches had blinded them from seeing the true riches. The surrounding. While worldly riches are marked by comfort the true riches described by Jesus as gold refined by fire, not by comfort and lukewarm. Now that true riches that Jesus said, gold refined by fire, it reminds me of the scripture, that truth expressed by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. It says, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So my conclusion is this. Christians are purified by 
trials, not by comfort. If you don't remember anything, just that. <laughs> yeah. Christians yeah. are purified by trials, not by comfort. Okay, for nakedness, Jesus said, buy from me white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the, the, shame, your shame, or the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. So the white garment speaks of honor because and purity. So Jesus promised them from humiliation to honor and purity. And as far as blindness, obviously they were blind, thinking they were rich. Jesus said, buy from me soft to anoint your eyes so that you may see yourself accurately. <laughs> the next thing, the next verse, I love it. This way, we talk about Jesus being a coach, but verse 19, you, 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 you read this. Those whom I love are reproved and disciplined, so be zealous and repent. Now that is taken from Proverbs chapter 13, pretty much quote word for word. Proverbs 13, verse 12, where it says, For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son, in whom he delights. So here, Jesus is not just a coach, but he's a coach and a father. Mm. Isn't that beautiful? Mm. So, verse 20, I love this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him, come into him and eat with him and he with me. This is a self-invitation for supper by Jesus, okay? And this self-invitation for supper by Jesus strengthens the point that he wants to what he wants to communicate to the church, okay? When you think of what, what Jesus just said, okay? Traditionally, when a respected guest coming for supper for or dinner it, it is it is an honor for for the host of the, the house to have people coming especially a highly respected person and especially if that person invited himself mm -hmm. I want to have dinner with you that's like huge so the host would offer beverages that are either cold for summer or hot for winter so Jesus pretty much like implies like, I'm on a supper with you. Don't offer me lukewarm beverages. <laughs> it's distasteful for me. So now the exhortation and promises. Let's read, read verse 21. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Okay, what is interesting about, about this whole letter is that the letter begins with Jesus introducing himself as the beginning, the ruler, the one in authority. It then ends with an invitation for the church to rule with him, to be in authority with him. So the one with authority invited those once had authority but lost it because of their lukewarmness to repent in order for them to be people with authority 
as you know as when they started. So this shows how much Jesus wanted to show them and want them to see their situation they were in, the situation they were in, in the light of he, who he truly is. You know why? Because only the one with authority is able to reinstate those who have lost authority. Let's just conclude this whole thing. If I can conclude, I'm going to conclude in this way, that the presence of comfort and worldly riches and the absence of persecution caused the church of Laodicea to grow comfortable, resulting in them letting their guard down and absorbing the spirit of the surrounding culture. So as a church in the West, I want to say this. As a church in the West, we are blessed in a democratic environment, okay? A democratic environment is a safe environment. Why? Because it is where everybody has equal rights and equal voice. Safe. However, because of that, this environment is conducive for bad things as bacteria and virus to grow, metaphorically speaking. All right? Mm -hmm. Room temperature is conducive for that. So good and bad all grow together. Now, last week I said, in the midst of a politically correct and pluralistic society where tolerance at all costs in all contexts is upheld and the existence of absolute truth is denied, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the very essence of our faith, is even more offensive, offensive than ever before. Now I want to say this, democracy with the ex existence of denial of absolute is just the right environment for a La Laodicean kind of church. I believe that. As a matter of fact, let me say this. Democracy without the uh, acceptance of absolute truth, the existence of absolute truth, or without the truth, is just a nice way of saying, uh, what, 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 what do you call it? Uh, uh, society, uh, uh, consumer society. Mm. So democracy without the truth or without upholding the truth is the same as a glorified consumer society. Why? Because it's all about what the people say. It's what the people want. Yeah. Right or wrong. Whatever people say, people ride for them. Now here's the thing, Jesus revealed himself as the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Laodicean, this was a church that had lost its distinctiveness to the point that instead of being faithful and true witness, which is a reflection of who Jesus is, it was a reflection of the city in which it was located.
instead of embodying all that Christ is, it had embodied all that the city was. So here's the thing, they had failed to become a faithful and true witness. Now let me push this, this, this point. Lukewarm Christians lead more people astray because they have become false witness. They misrepresent Jesus. The dangers for the Church of Jesus in the comfortable environment of our prosperous Western democratic first world country is that it sedates us to the point that we will end up blending in with the society instead of being the salt and the light to our surroundings. I don't think we want to be that kind of church. Yeah, I don't think so. I think, like I said, trials purify Christian, not comfort. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, having good life and all, all that's fine, but if that is where we, we put our, our strength, yeah. where we draw our strength from, yeah. we're done. Like, it has been said, and I think it's good, it's not about having money, but ha having money having you, sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's not about having things, but when things have you, you become comfortable. It, it's like, I think... That's why, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a reality. The persecuted churches are the strongest churches in the world. And the Western churches with all our show and our production and all that, if you look at the other side of, of the coin of what has been produced in that, it's like, you know, oh, do I really want to, have, to be part of that church? Anyway, Jesus walked into the scene to the churches it was as if he had to reintroduce himself to the churches. Apart from Philadelphia and, and Smyrna. But I believe it's almost like in this day and age, with the stuff that we're going through, we need almost like, God, if you have to reintroduce yourself to us, please do it. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. I believe maybe that's what the, what, what's needed in the church. Yeah. Especially, I, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm, I believe in the, you know, Australia as a country is a good good country. But we, the danger of drawing our comfort from from that comfortable environment, it's deadly. To the yeah. point where we're, we're not gonna need Jesus. We need whatever we can draw from mm -hmm. from this place. It's like, Lord. If you have to reintroduce yourself, do it, Lord. We need the truth of Jesus, who Jesus is. Yeah. So uh, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus. Yes. And maybe some have gone astray. Yes. Especially in, in this environment where free thinkers, free whatever, opinions, everybody can voice their opinions, but unless we are guided by your truth, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord. Our opinion will go anywhere but you, Lord Jesus. We'll just go crazy. And that's why, Father, Lord, I'm sorry, Lord. We maybe for some reason our generation, the, the uh, 60s, 70s, 80s generation of our generation, 
we haven't led properly, Lord, the people. That's why we see, Lord, the generation where people want to reconstruct or deconstruct, sorry. This language of deconstruction, people are disillusioned because they haven't met you. Because they haven't met you because many of us, maybe including me, at some point we have misrepresented you. Lord Jesus, reintroduce yourself yes. Yes. and guide these people. Lord Jesus, like I've said before, we can deconstruct any way we want to, or we have to arrive to the point of reconstruction yes. and who you really are, Lord. There are people here bitter, bitter towards the church because they are disillusioned, because, and then they go to that way. I pray that you will reintroduce yourself to them who you really are and for people who have never known you and they've, they've uh, only heard of you from the church maybe even in the wrong way I pray that you will introduce yourself yes. the truth of who you are to them according to the, like, so they see the, the, their situation in the light of who you are yeah. pray bless your people Father this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Come on. Let's press in. I know it's a hard time now, but you know what? The church was meant to shine in times like this. So, let me say this. All the people, the conspiracy theorists and all those guys, whatever, even if there is such thing as conspiracy, who cares? I got Jesus in me. And really. One world government, we're gonna talk about that, right? We're gonna deal with all those things, the beast and whatever. We're, we're deal with that. But even if they're here, you know what the Bible instructs us to wait for the cross. Who cares about the antichrist? I'm excited about the coming of Christ. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Bless you guys. <laughs> I can't just go on. <laughs> Bless you guys. I love you all. <laughs>